0: Welcome back to the Meet Us in Paris podcast. I'm Kristen, and this is the podcast about all things travel, be it food, what to pack for your next trip, or your next exotic destination. And hanging out with me to help me host is Emily. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. And for as little as he contributes, Zen is here too.
1: (laughs) I'm just happy to be here, said Ringo Starr.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're in our orbit.
1: (laughs) Yes. Okay. This is your world. I'm just hanging out in it.
0: <laughs> so, last week we had our first coffee talk segment where we talked about travel hacks, getting passport for babies and <laughs> airfare prices, the whole gamut. Yeah. Uh, what we realized afterwards is that we forgot to mention that we're in the middle of Hispanic Heritage Month. Um, so to make up for that, we're going to talk about a few ways to celebrate and recognize the contributions of Hispanic Americans to U.S. culture. But first, a word from our sponsor.
1: When you look back upon your life and you see all the things you achieved, certainly none of them started with action. And when you're planning for your next career journey, find us the University of California Irvine. We've over 80 convenient online certificates to help you navigate the future, and we're the perfect Sherpa for your next big adventure. Find us at ce.uci.edu.
0: So before we begin, we probably should talk about what Hispanic Heritage Month is. Hispanic Heritage Month originated in 1968 as Hispanic Heritage Week under President Lyndon Johnson and was expanded to 30 days by President Ronald Reagan and enacted into law on August 17, 1988. I just have to interrupt myself here and say I didn't know it was a law. I know the law part. It's yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. So it's a law. Um, Hispanic Heritage Month. It was created to recognize and celebrate the histories, cultures, and contributions of American citizens whose ancestors came from Spain, Mexico, the Caribbean, and Central and South America. So it actually starts on September 15th, and it is significant because this is actually the day that Costa Rica, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, and Nicaragua gained their independence from Spain in 1821. So the vast majority of Central America celebrates their independence on September 15th. And then, in addition, Mexico and Chile celebrate their Independence Days on September 16th and 18th, respectively. And additionally, Columbus Day, or Dia de la Raza, which is October 12th, falls within the month. And I don't know how we feel about
1: Columbus. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Anymore. Anymore.
0: Right. We maybe should have never felt that way. Yeah but uh, he was from spain so i guess there's that <laughs> he was hispanic
1: yeah um,
0: okay okay so having <laughs> <laughs> so i actually when i was like looking up things for this i was kind of like gosh like what am i going to find just just more like I felt like I was going to have to search to jog my memory or to think of something. And it was just pouring out of me. Like I kept thinking like, Oh my gosh, yeah, this and this and that and that. Like there is so much and I'm talking everything from books to music, to food that are a Hispanic heritage for us here. Um, So I was actually pleasantly surprised and really enjoying this little exercise digging into this. But, um, I don't know if I should start or someone else's something um, because I have more culture here. I have like books and music and uh, TV. So I don't know if you guys have more like food or travel related or. Sure. You want to jump in.
1: I can jump in. Yeah. Okay. So. I, you know, this is actually one of my loves of travel. Is um, I actually learned it from Anthony Bourdain, is that Anthony Bourdain always taught everyone about the culture through their food. Um, Mm -hmm. Food plays an integral role. Um, It's very important to eat, but you can learn a lot about cultures by exploring their food. Um, And the reason why is when you learn about their food and you kind of you try to figure out where it came from, it tells you about the culture. It tells you. A little bit about the resources that are available. So, if they eat a lot of fish, you know they're near water. Um, if they, um, you know, like if they eat a lot of cow, there could be lots of grazing land. Mm-hmm. Um, it also talks about um, pressure. Talks about preservation techniques. So, like if they don't have refrigeration in Asia um, in the past, they use a lot of um, salt. Ooh. So they'll put like hard boiled eggs in salted water and it will actually preserve eggs and Mm such like that. Um, but also what also fascinates me is it gives you some cultural secrets of the culture. Um, and the first one I'm going to talk about, um, so I'm not going to go too in depth about this. I'm just going to give everyone a jumping off point and you can go learn more about it. But, um, my my wife's family is from Chile, so I've experienced this food in person. The food is called pastel de choclo. Mm-hmm. Um pastel de choclo, um translated is uh pastel is pie in Spanish, and de choclo, um instead of maíz which is uh corn uh Choclo uh, is a specific type of Peruvian corn which is somewhere between corn and hominy. So it's like bigger and such and it's like a um, little bit more hardier mm-hmm. um, And the best way you can describe this is it's like a shepherd's pie. it's essentially a stew but instead of putting potatoes on the top and baking it, they'll put corn like almost like a cornbread. And then um, it steams and it makes the cornbread all, you know, kind of hard. And anyways, it's a wonderful dish. It's just super savory. Um, the filling usually has ground beef, chicken, raisins, black olives, onions, um, and hard um, hard boiled eggs. So it's Chilean's favorite food, um, also considered Peru's national dish. So two things okay of course now we learned that it's using peruvian corn which is a specific corn to south america but what's what about the stew part is apparently the dish has some origins at the time of colonization and it's uh there's something called like a Mestizo plate that joins you take a spanish stew with a chilean corn paste and um apparently the Spaniards missed their home food and they work with the indigenous people, the Machupe's, and they worked with Machupe's cooks and they made this homogenization of two different cultures' foods together. Um, and now you have pastel de chocolate <laughs> that you don't see anywhere else in the world.
0: Wow.
1: So wow. I thought that was kind of cool.
0: That is very cool. Where can we get this?
1: I know... I do not know of any places of, in Orange County. They have some mm-hmm. in Los Angeles. Sure, yeah. Um, the so here's one thing is that they're typically made in a earthenware clay pot, which is about eight to ten inches across, and they're baked um, in the United States because if you're in a restaurant, you know you. First of all, the, these clay pots kind of like if you it's one of those kind of clay pots. If you put food into it, like the, the food's oils soak into the clay pots. Oh yeah. And in other cultures, those are very um, desirable because it kind of creates like a seasoning. The the pot itself is kind of the flavor, mm-hmm. right?
2: right? Right. In
1: the United States, you can never serve that in a restaurant. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, they usually serve them in like little little tin pl- little tins um so they can bake them and then you just throw away the tin so nice. um but yeah they're they're really excellent you can get them and um i know make them sometimes at home um so i have a few cookbooks if you look on line you can find some uh things like that so i have a mm-hmm. second one but i don't want to keep talking so I- i'm gonna pass do do we want to kind of circle a little bit
2: Sure. Or do you uh, want to yeah, go? Yeah, okay. Yeah, let's, circle, let's circle. Okay.
1: Let's circle. I only have one more anyway, so.
2: Okay. <laughs> um, I'll continue on with food. Um food. Thank you, Zen, for starting us off. <laughs> um, okay. So I don't really have like explanations of the food. Like, as, <laughs> as cool as the explanation as Zen did, um, I was just going to list off some like notable foods that I like or I want to try from these Latin American areas. So, things that i've tried ceviche super good love, ceviche. love it um ceviche the first and most of the time when i eat ceviche it's like the it's not what i thought ceviche is i recently learned. <laughs> okay.
1: well tell me what you think it was okay. well
2: let me start with actually what it actually is and then how it Relates to what I thought it was. Okay, so ceviche is a seafood that's prepared by um, using like lemon or an acidic juice, citrus juice, um, to cook it instead of like putting it on heat or something like that. So mm-hmm. ceviche is like explaining that the way that the meat or the seafood is cooked. I thought ceviche was like a specific dish. So, like when oh. you go to. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, like, okay. It's almost like a seafood salsa. Yeah, it's like if a seafood salsa or like a seafood pasta salad salsa. Something. Yeah, yeah.
1: I keep on going to restaurants for the soup de jour and they keep on changing it on me.
2: Oh, oh,
0: oh. <laughs> yes,
2: Exactly. That's, <laughs> that's some dad humor. Yeah. Yeah. So a little fun fact for me and Kristen. Yeah, so ceviche is the way it's actually cooked, not a specific dish. Noted. Yes. So that's something I really like, very much enjoy. Um, Other things, um, pozole, the Mexican soup, which is so good. Uh, My friend's mom makes it so well, like every fall, actually all the time. That's like, it's just such like a good like soul food home dish. Um, But it's also made... From hominy, what Zen was talking about earlier, hominy and meat. I think it's pork um, that it's really? made with. Yeah. Is it not pork?
1: Usually, the ones I've had, it's always been fish.
2: Oh, okay. I've never had a fish one then.
1: Really? Um,
2: I guess you can make it with whatever you want. That's the beauty of soup and cooking. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh wait, wait! I thought you were still talking about ceviche. <laughs> oh
2: no, no, no. pasole. We're moving oh, on. Oh, Pozole. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm
1: sorry. I, I, I missed the no. I love Pozole too. No, that is pork. That okay, is pork.
2: Great. Okay, so pasole is a soup, um, traditional soup stew made with hominy and meat, and then a ton of different yummy vegetables um, mixed in. You can garnish it. I mean. I think there's a specific way you're supposed to garnish it, but there's always just like, it's like a buffet. You just, like, put in whatever you want to put in with, like, onions or garlic and avocado, and it's just delicious. Um, so that's another thing I like. And then something that my aunt really likes, not, I mean, it's good for me, but my aunt specifically, when she goes to Florida, she always asks for conch fritters. Huh. Oh, Which is, like, so a Caribbean good. specialty, I yeah, think. Yeah. yeah so, exactly. And so, since Florida is, like, right next to kind of the Caribbean, like, that's why... Domestically, she, that's what she'll I always ask for hon- sure. conch fritters, um, which is funny because if you don't know what conch fritters are, I didn't. Um, <laughs> when you read it, when you read it, it looks like conch fritters, and so that's what I ordered at the restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Uh, but they're very sweet, and they will correct you very nicely. <laughs> um, but w- it, it's it's made of conch meat, which is a shellfish, right? Um, and then it's battered and it's fried. And then you dip it in some sauce, If I guess. you've <laughs> ever
1: had clam strips, it's very similar to like a clam strip. There you go. From the East Coast. Yeah. So, right. so delicious.
0: Yes. Um. You know, while we're just on the subject of food, like, I... I must have been in like high school when I learned that churros were Mexican and not just a Disneyland. <laughs> like, you grow <laughs> up, the up the going Costco. to and, her, like, Costco not really Mexican.
1: they're Spanish.
0: <laughs> okay, sorry, Spanish, but. Yeah. My, my point just, you grew up going to Disneyland and like a churro was like a fundamental part of your Disneyland experience. Mm-hmm. And I just thought it was a fun Disneyland thing. And then learning that it was like this Hispanic dish was just like, and then you can, now you can get them like Taco Bell or whatever. But I'm just like, what a way to like make a mark on society. I mean, I guess you could say Disneyland <laughs> maybe be appropriate in them, but like, they are like a mainstay of California culture now <laughs> like, because of that. Oh, yeah. Um, but maybe other people will learn earlier than me now from my life lesson but anyways so the first thing i thought of when i was um thinking about things was i was trying to reflect on like some of my time in um like his like latin america and um i remember when i was flying to mexico city well, I knew going to Mexico City that Frida Kahlo was from there and her, right. um, her house, the Ca- Casa Azul, was there. Um, and I remember thinking, gosh, I wish I could watch that Frida movie now because I feel like I don't know anything yeah. about her. Um, and it was on the plane. So I guess oh. everyone on that plane was probably like, we want to watch Frida. Uh, <laughs> I was really excited. And, um that movie, I mean, that was kind of Salma Hayek's breakout. um, But it is such a good introduction to Frida, who was such a character. Um, And people I mean, like, I didn't know anything about we know she's like the artist and we know she did her, her self portrait. And um, I know a lot of people it's kind of popular to like be her for like Halloween and things, which are kind of cool. But she was, when she was younger, she was in a bus accident and had, um, severe like pain for the rest of her life. And yeah, she had a really
2: hard up her spine
1: or something like that. Right. Yeah. How old
2: was she when the accident happened? I think she was in like high school or something. Oh, so like really young. Okay.
1: 18 years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So she was really young and, um, she she went to Paris for um her art to like exhibit and I know she did her husband was doing art in New York and I think they ended up tearing it down um because of their like fascist sympathies or something like they had was it Trotsky live with them huh I'm doing this all wrong I'm gonna embarrass myself but they had like one like that like come stay with them in Mexico City and she hated the United States and it made me kind of love her more like because I feel like so many people just revere it and she was so in love with her own culture and her own home that she wasn't like blinded by like the, the you know the industrial American experience and like just the riches and like I don't know I feel like the greed that a lot of it was at that time um, but I loved that movie I I actually went to Casa Azul but I didn't go inside it was really hot and the lines were really long <laughs> and everything so it didn't really work out for me but it's definitely I think worth visiting I've had people who told me I um, should have went in and that I'm gonna really regret that so noted um, also kind of on that move that note um, Selena Will never yes. not be old, ever. That was on my um, list too. Great. I know. And Jennifer Lopez is breakout role, mm-hmm. but, um, Selena was. I mean, she was American of um, her parents were Mexican and she became like the Tejano queen um, and, you know, gone too soon. Um, But still, like, they're making the TV shows about Selena. They're doing all the revival concerts. Like, she's still she was killed in ninety seven. Yeah. Yeah. 97. So, I mean, she's, she's still, we're, we're talking, this is like, you know, 25 years later, like people, this whole generation is still obsessed with her. She's made such a mark on, um, not not only like the hispanic culture here but but even like the caucasian culture like she had put out her first english language cd and it was like the huge hit like she was going to be a superstar and like you know a crossover artist um before she was tragically taken from us and another movie that i thought of that i felt like went under the radar was that netflix movie the two popes do you guys remember this?
2: Ooh,
0: yes, I didn't watch it, but I looked. It
1: up. Yeah.
0: So it was Anthony Hopkins and Jonathan Price. Yeah. And it was so good, but it was such a great look at you know the Pope is currently from Argentina and he's the first non-European. Yeah. Is that right, or just the first from Argentina?
1: I, don't I know, can't but. remember. But yeah.
0: Okay. But yeah. So learning about his life and like Catholicism in Argentina and like what he grew up with and Argentina is so proud of him. Um, like in Buenos Aires, they have um, like wall murals of him everywhere. Um, and I think people forget that Catholicism is such a dominant religion in um, Latin America that it really feels ridiculous that he's the first Pope from there. Like it feels way long overdue mm-hmm. um, and seeing the perspective that he brings and like kind of championing a lot, championing um, a lot of Latin America um, ideals. I, and-
1: I, I have a saying um, is that in Latin America, you're, you're Catholic by culture. <laughs> it, it's it's just it's it's you it's it's difficult to separate the two sure so yeah, yeah you're catholic by culture in so many ways so
2: that makes sense
1: that's a yeah. great that's the two popes was, an amazing was the other
2: pope him. there's two popes so one uh, anthony
0: hopkins played pope benedict right without his the, yeah.
1: the last pope, oh,
0: okay. and then yeah. Jonathan Price. Um, you probably know him, he was in Pirates of the Caribbean as Elizabeth Swan's dad, and he was in um, Game of Thrones as
2: the High Sparrow. So, he was is a bad it
1: guy in James Bond film?
2: Oh. Okay, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> so, is it is the movie just like one incoming pope talking to the outgoing pope? Yes. No, okay. oh,
1: yeah. no, what? it's oh. their conversation before he leaves,
2: but it's still like incoming and outgoing that's why there's two, right?
0: Well, well, it it was essentially the relationship just between those two. Oh, okay. okay.
1: So, so the thing is that it takes place. um, It ends one year before. um, Oh yeah. They're doing the,
0: they're like pontificating. They're, they're voting on who's going to be the Pope.
2: Yeah. And they're having
1: conversations of philosophy and life and all those types of things. And um, you know, and you know, so like one is just archbishop, and the other one is the pope, and they're mm-hmm. talking about religion and the future and things like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and then at the very end of the film, it's one year before um, he he ab abdicates. So the papacy, though. Okay. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So but such a good film. Go check it out. Go check it out.
0: Yeah, it is pretty good. It's Netflix. Netflix. Okay.
1: I'll
2: add that to my list. Yeah. Oh, Oh, yeah. (laughs) Baby (laughs) approves.
1: Do I have to circle back? I I think it's my turn again. Hang on. So my second one... Okay, so what's great... So there's one food that I passed on um that i wanted to learn more about and i'll do it on my own but my favorite food when i went to mexico city is the tortilla soup Mm. (laughs) and i have yet to have a tortilla soup as good as the tortilla soup from mexico city and every time it was funny because um actually at that point i actually went i was i went with my parents and my sister and the the Every meal is fine because my mom. I was like, "Oh my god, the tortilla soup so good!" I talk about it to this day. My mom was like, "You got tortilla soup?" It's like, "Did you see? I ordered it with every single lunch and dinner <laughs> <laughs> the whole time we were there. Every lunch and dinner, mm. I had it because it was so good." Um, but instead, I I'm going to go with uh, tacos al pastor. Mm. Okay, and oh, the reason? I'm sorry.
0: All of this is so good.
1: Okay, and I'm going to tell you why I I I mentioned it before. I believe, but I'll I'll I'm going to go back and do this again. Um, one of my good friends is Lebanese, and so I talked to him about this. Tacos of pastor actually have Lebanese origin. Hmm. Okay, they're popular in Mexico, um, and they're. And they came to the United States and they're incredibly popular in the United States as well, but they're linked and the origins come from Lebanese immigrants who migrated to Mexico in the 1930s. So this is a food that's only, is it hasn't been around for hundreds of years. It's been around for under a hundred years. And the Lebanese had moved to um, Mexico trying to escape uh um, a lot of military problems and violence, and trying to find better opportunities, just like lots of migrants do. Mm-hmm. So, when they moved to Mexico City, they continued to do what they do. They brought their trades with them, and they continued to sell. Um, essentially, uh, um, geez, what do you, shawarma?
2: Mm, okay, um, yes,
1: which is um, lamb that's been cooked on a rotisserie, an upright rotisserie. And it also is served on pita bread. And
2: sorry to interrupt. Is shawarma always lamb or is it more like just typically lamb, but you can like substitute meat?
1: I think it's always lamb.
0: Okay. I don't know. So I'm not going (laughs) to say. Yeah.
1: I I think it's always lamb. Okay. So they brought their lamb to, Mexico City um, opened up a a bunch of restaurants and I've heard from various sources that they did okay but not great and it wasn't and so there's a very so they start putting the shawarma into flour tortillas and that version is called tacos arabes which is essentially arabian tacos arabic tacos right Nice. and then they kept them modifying it a little bit and so Mexicans, first of all, lamb is very expensive and Mexicans like pork. So they moved the recipe from lamb to pork and then started putting it on taco uh, flour tortillas or corn tortillas. And that's what tacos El pastor is from. And then with, of course, pineapple and stuff like that. So it's very interesting to see that a food that was that everyone assumes is a uh, completely Mexican food is actually um, two cultures coming together and then making a new food, which is Mexican.
2: Yeah. That is really cool. That so,
1: is super interesting. Yeah. Who knew, right? Thank you for that. You did. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's just because I forgot where I learned this from. And then, you know, uh, Giorgio. I talked to Giorgio about it, our friend, mm-hmm. and he, he was he's like oh yeah you know and and like i just you know lebanon just fascinates me they drink actually there's another story this isn't good for hispanic (laughs) month but you know learning about coffee and their culture but just how influential they have been around the world so okay
2: very cool okay Mm -hmm. um Okay. Okay. So I'm going to bring us back to shows and movies. Um, so I've mentioned this before, I think. Oh yeah, I definitely mentioned this last week when we were talking about fall foods. Um, Coco. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pixar. Pixar. Disney. Pixar movie. Coco. Uh, if you haven't seen it already, go watch it. It is such a great movie. Um, I actually I didn't watch it in theaters. I watched it the first time I watched it. I think was when it hit Netflix before Disney Plus. I think um, when it hit Netflix, and I watched it in my room by myself, just thinking it was like just a cute movie, not anticipating how emotional I would be at the end. <laughs> and so I was just oh, crying, like a happy, happy, sad crying at the end of the movie. But Coco is amazing. It's about this young boy, uh, Miguel, from Mexico, or who lives in Mexico and he goes on this quest to find out uh, more about his family's um, history. He learns about his family history of music and, like, who his real ancestors are, I guess. Um, and he uncovers some secrets. He actually ends up most of the movie is taking place in the... What, what were they called? Like, the underworld? The the other, Good the dead, the dead the side. World of the, dead. the world of the dead. Um, a lot of it is spent on the other side of the, the non-living side of the world, <laughs> I guess. Um, but it's a great journey. Like There's lots of great music. Um, you learn a lot about the Mexican culture, or just Latin American culture, uh, Mexican traditions, and just great family movie. Um, so... Well, really great introduction to just general Mexican or Latin American traditions and holidays, especially because it celebrates Dia de los Muertos. Um, so it's a great movie. And then a movie that I haven't seen yet, but I want to, is Roma. Yeah! I, I, I want to see was, this too. Was it was it? Best Picture or it something. Was, okay. I don't know if it was nominated yeah. or, won or, or Best or International? Something. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, which, again, I feel like this episode is about me explaining things that I thought were true, but is actually not true. <laughs> That's good. We're learning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Roma, I thought it was a movie about Rome. It is not. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, it is a movie that was directed by Alfonso Cuaron. Um, he is a Mexican film director. And it's, a, if I'm correct, it's, it's a story about his personal life or based on his personal, personal life, nanny, right? Yeah, his. It's a very personal film that I believe tells the story of his childhood, um, of his childhood nanny in Mexico City during the nineteen seventies. So, I haven't seen it yet. I think it's on Netflix. If not, I'm sure you could rent it somewhere. Um, but it's just supposed. To, I mean, it's nominated or won Best Picture, Best International so-and-so, so it's got to be good. Um, and Alfonso Cuaron is a Mexican film director. He also, fun fact, directed uh, Harry Potter, The Prisoner of Azkaban, the third uh-huh. movie, which is my favorite movie of the series. Because yeah. um, surprisingly, an old coworker mentioned this, this to me a while ago, but she said the third movie of the Harry Potter series is actually one that takes place the most outdoors. Hmm. Um, Like, especially if you compare to the first and second one, the first and second films, most of it is inside. You're in, like, the classrooms. Like, it's all happening indoors. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the third one was you get to see the grounds a little bit more, and it was because of Alfonso Cuaron. He, like, took that direction, which was very cool.
1: Yeah. Also, in that movie, like in the first two movies, they were always wearing school uniforms. Yeah. And so he wanted to modernize it. or And so the things, the the actors start wearing more typical yeah, street wear. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was amazing. Because, you know, especially since they're on the ground. so I, They wouldn't be wearing uniforms the whole time. But they start wearing street clothes, which I really thought was great.
2: Yeah, definitely. And you don't... That's like a super... Because that's the only film that he, of the series that he directed. So you don't see that as much in the other films. Like the outdoors or like the street clothes as much. Uh, and then the last thing, still along movies and shows, is... I've also mentioned this before, but the Netflix uh, docu-series called Street Food... Um, so they have a couple different seasons. There's one on Asia and then there's one on Latin America where they take you each episode is a different city or country. So they take you to like Buenos Aires, they take you to Oaxaca, Lima, um, all these like, you know, most notable Latin American cities and just talk about the local food or and how those places became as big as they are because the stories i can't remember any one of them specifically but there's definitely like a handful if not almost all of the restaurants or food places that they showcase is all about the stories of the either the owners or the chefs or whoever is in charge i guess the story of how they came to i don't select a certain stall or like their day-to-day like how how early do they wake up like which markets do they go to and what like vegetables or groceries they buy and like all the relationships that they build with their customers too. In addition to obviously explaining all the foods or dishes that they make, but it's a really mm. amazing insight into not only the food, but just like the lifestyle and of the city or the country. Wow. So that's me. I love that.
0: <laughs> so taking it over to music and I actually did not realize both of these were Chilean. Um, but if you guys have heard of the artist Mon Laferte, um, she's, she's huge in like the Latin Grammys um, and Latin music world. Um, and then she's kind of started a crossover. She was at Coachella a few years ago. Um, I know she's been performing in Southern California, even like, this past month i think but mon la she is fabulous you do not need to know speak understand spanish or anything um because her music is so poppy and so catchy it's like you don't even need the words to appreciate it um and she seems to be making big strides in like the non-latin world now but love her music and she's totally worth checking out um and then i wanted to talk about do you guys know the song gracias a la vida
1: no, not familiar not,
0: with it but maybe if i heard it <laughs> yeah so gracias a la vida is a song by violeta para she is uh she was chilean and it's has a ton of renditions it is a beautiful song um you know it essentially translates to thank you life or thanks to life um and I actually had recently heard um, Casey Musgraves just came out with a new album and she did a recording of it. Really? Yeah. And it kind of led me down a rabbit hole. So, you know, it's been redone um, a lot because it is actually such a popular song in, I think, Hispanic culture. And I was even asking a friend of mine um, and she she grew up like taking Spanish classes. She studied abroad in Argentina and Spain. She married a Spaniard. Like she's like deep in like this culture. and um, (laughs) She was saying like in all of her Spanish classes, they had to memorize that song. Um, like it's, yeah, it's like a big deal. So it's a beautiful song. It has a long legacy, um, especially in Hispanic, Hispanic culture. And, um, violeta Parra, who recorded it not only she chilean but her birthday october 4th um was actually made like music day chilean musicians day in Mm. chile after her um and it looks like there's also a a biopic movie about her that was released in 2011 um, by Andres Wood so I I do think it's probably in Spanish but um, could be worth checking out to, to read more about her life she was born in 1917 and died in 1967 so this is a very it was a very like kind of folksy traditional type of song I'm assuming it was probably around the 40s or so when she recorded it um I don't actually know, but that was her lifespan. So it gives you kind of an idea of it, but um, gosh, just it's just a few ways to see like America. We think that we're like the hubbub, like the center of like music and culture with Hollywood and all this, but there, these worlds exist that we are so unaware of, unless you're like a part of those cultures. like these people have made such a mark on so many people with their songs and their music. And, um, it's definitely worth venturing into some of that if you have a chance. So I totally recommend, um, Mon Laferte," And, uh, that's a very modern take. And then listening to some renditions of Gracias a la Vida.
2: Cool. Yeah. (laughs) So anyone else? Uh, I have an honorable mention. Yes. uh, Only because I haven't watched it yet, so I don't have much to say. But um, West Side Story. Hmm. And Hmm. Rita Moreno, uh, she is this great... I've I've heard of her name. I don't recall if I've ever really seen her in anything, but she is known for playing Anita in West Side Story. And that is a Broadway show that is actually being turned into a Steven Spielberg film, Oh. which is to be released this December. So I'm excited to watch the movie because I haven't seen I mean, I, I hope it's the movies is as good as the Broadway show. I don't know. But and Rita Moreno is one of the few EGOTs. The few people with an EGOT? <laughs> Do you guys I know? did not know that.
1: I'm really? I'm not sure what that means.
2: It's an Emmy Grammy Oscar and Tony. I oh, yeah. okay. I when you know
0: that when you win all three or all four, you they're egots, and it's obviously extremely hard to right. do, and you need to be very talented to do that. But Rita Moreno was someone who has all those.
2: That is all.
1: Same with Mel Brooks. <laughs> apparently, I had to look it up.
0: With what <laughs> I didn't hear,
1: I had to look it up. Mel Brooks has one too. There's only like only under handful. twenty. Yeah, yeah.
0: Was it John 20. Legend or is he one away from that still?
1: I think apparently
0: one away. I don't know. I forget. Okay. So I'm making things up now. uh, Zen, do you have anything else?
1: I am out.
0: Okay. Then I'm going to mention one other thing. And I actually mentioned this on our Columbia podcast, but the book 100 years of solitude by um, Gabriel Garcia Marquez. He also wrote love in the time of cholera, 100 years of solitude is one of my top five favorite books of all time. It's beautiful. It's done in, um, what they call magical realism. So it reads very much like almost like a fairy tale. And, um, it's this beautiful long story about this, um, family and they live in, not a mythical town, but it's like, you know, a fictional town. And, um, It's kind of like the story of their family founding this town and the town's kind of rise and fall. And um, I I just read it on my own time, actually not too long ago. But um, in reading more about it and like a lot of the um, not like the criticism, but like, I don't know, diving into it. um, It was really um, kind of a metaphor for Latin America itself and they were talking about how so many especially from the new world you know from like south and central america um, they understand themselves through stories and they would write stories and have storytelling to help them understand their own culture and what they went through and um reading 100 years of solitude you see how it is kind of this metaphor for Latin America itself. And it's, it's like founding and it's rise and it's fall and the ways that it's been exploited um, and taken over. And it's a really beautiful book. Um, The author is Colombian and you, you totally sense all of that when you're reading this, you really see those um, that culture in it. So I highly recommend that super amazing book. And um, also I I don't know how popular this book really is. It was really popular in my high school because we had to read it. And apparently the author was um, kind of local. And it's the true story of his Mexican-American parents immigrating from Mexico to Southern California and and like the Orange County area. And they really talk about it. And it's called Reign of Gold. Um, by Victor Villasenor. And it, it, it's really good. It's, it's a story of Mexican American immigrants and coming to U- United States. And um, they mention a lot of local places in like Orange County and in, in Empire, which is really neat. And one thing that always stood out to me in that book that I'll never forget is when his grandfather like comes over, he needs work. And so he ends up going to work on the railroads. You know, this is like the twenties or something like that. And there was so much anti Hispanic sentiment that he would tell people he was actually Chinese. And to think that this was a world where people had no idea what some of these other people looked like, and you could just say, Oh, I'm, I'm Chinese, and they'd be like, Oh, I guess that's like what a Chinese person looks like. <laughs> like. What a different time. Like, I just remember always being blown away by that. Um, but his grandfather would say that so as not to be like discriminated against wow. because he was Mexican. Yeah. But I mean, I, I I can't imagine being Chinese would be that much better in like twenties America, but um, must've done something. But those, <laughs> those are two, two books that also are really good if you're interested in like a Latin America take. It's
2: awesome.
0: Yeah. And th- I just feel like there's so much, like when I was doing this, I just kept thinking of this and this and that. And, I mean, I think also being in Southern California, we have such a rich Hispanic
1: culture. We, I mean, we unusual awareness. <laughs> what? Yeah, we have an unusual awareness. Yeah, because of our mix, ex- yeah. so many cultures being here. Yeah,
0: totally. Um, but yeah, that was a great way to kind of reflect on all the these great things that have entered my life and enriched it from Hispanic heritages. Nice. And I feel like we hadn't even scratched the surface because you know there are so many, we should have counted how many like countries there are, but there are so many cultures that comprise all of this.
2: Mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah. we only mentioned a handful. Um, So much more to talk about, but thank you. Thank you. Excuse me. Thank you for tuning into our Hispanic heritage month podcast. We hope that you had as much fun as we did and learned some new things. Let us know what you think. Contact us on our social media channels where you can find photos of our adventures from around the world Interesting articles and more.
0: Also, if you're newer to our podcast, check out some of our older ones on Cuba, London, and of course, France, just to name a few.
1: Meet us in Paris is a University of California, Irvine Division of Continuing Education uh, Production. If you need a career boost, looking to increase your workplace knowledge, or seeking a new profession, Check them out at ce.uci.edu for their professional courses. And thanks again for tuning in.
0: Bye. 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 Bye.